What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Chatting in the City podcast, brought to you by the V-Track Lab at the University of Ottawa. I am your host, Oaz, and I'm here with a dear old friend, uh, Victoire. How you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm not bad. I'm not bad. So um, I wanted to get you on so I could ask you about, um, as a med student, I wanted to get your perspective and your idea of sort of mental health in the Black community. Um, Obviously, there's uh, our lab is doing a project that's sort of focusing on the mental health of Black community, specifically Black youth. So I just wanted to sort of get your perspective on it and how you think it's, if you think anything has changed in the last, let's say, five years regarding the conversation around Black, you know, Black mental health. Hmm. Um, that, that question is very broad, and I'm just going to start by saying I'm not an expert. I'm a second year med student. <laughs> <laughs> neither am I, neither am I. I'm just. So anyone listening to this, I can't actually offer medical advice. I can only speak from what I've seen and what I've experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, so how have things changed in terms of mental health in the black community? Is that the question? Sort of like, what do you see in terms of mental health in the black community? And if things have changed, so it's kind of like a, two parts okay well from what i've seen mental health particularly in the black community has always been is still stigmatized Uh um maybe to a lesser extent just because of how people are more willing to talk about it not necessarily black people but everyone talks about it has been talking about it more in the last five years and We've seen the Bell Let's Talk campaigns. We've seen multiple social media posts, especially when um, big events happening, like let's say the uprising of the Black Lives Matter movement over the summer. Even then there's been more conversation about mental health in the Black community. So I think it's great that people are more willing to talk about it. But I do think that people will advocate for others but are not willing to advocate for themselves. Right. Which... Um, I think there's still a disconnect there. Um, but speaking to my own experience, so I, I don't know if you remember, Boaz, in high school, I had a concussion and I was I out of school it. for like two months in grade 12. And then I was just having a really hard time because I, I had a really high average. I was involved with like a bunch of sports, a bunch of extracurriculars, and I worked part time. So that pyramid that's like sleep, social life. <laughs> um, Grades hit you. I was like, screw it, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Right, right. I did everything and then got concussed, and I was like, yo, that sleeping part was actually really important. Um, So after that, I started having a lot of panic attacks, and I was having a hard time with my, my own mental health. And my mom noticed a change in my behavior. So I didn't really want to talk about it. I didn't really know like what to make of it. But then my mom noticed a change in my behavior. Right. And she like kind of like invited me out. Like we had like we went out for like this really nice steak dinner. Okay. And then um she started talking about she started asking me about how I'm feeling, like the change in my behavior. And she was like, honestly, like it's very normal given the circumstance. And like, you can get help. And then she told me that she had struggled with depression in the past and she was, she had been medicated. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) You know what's all it is? Yeah. yeah. What do you mean? (laughs) So this is fine. 
So I think like for me, that was a big turning point because in terms of me being able to advocate for others, like I would always encourage other people to um, seek professional help, whether it's therapy or whether it's um, pharmaceutical help for whatever mental health condition. I, it was hard for me to reach out until I had that conversation with my mom and she really told me that it was normal. Right. That It was nothing to be ashamed of and that, especially when you go through like a life changing event or it can be like for whatever reason, like sometimes like mental health issues will just happen. Yeah. Um, but it's okay. I was talking to my cousin and he kind of said the same thing. He was like, um, cause I was asking him sort of what he, what he thinks, um, I guess within our family, sort of, you know, with the broader community at large, the black community, I was asking what he thought about mental health and sort of like, if he actually knew that there were services he could go to to get help and stuff like that, if he ever needed them. And he said he didn't really consider that until let's say like four years ago by that point it was like basically you know after high school right it's kind of like coming out of high school he didn't really know that that was even a thing that was available to him right Mm -hmm. so obviously because that was the thing he just you know had to use other ways of coping and stuff like that but that's really cool that your mom actually spoke to you and was like hey you know this happens you you had a concussion you had in a way your life turned upside down you missed a bunch of school so it's like it's only fair that you might have panic attacks or you might feel anxious you might feel whatever so that makes sense and, um, so I think that if there is more of that within the Black community, people being open about their own issues and letting others know that it's okay, like this is what I've done and you can do it too, mm-hmm. then people would be more willing rather than you should do this without actually opening up about how it affected yourself. Yeah, because I guess there's a problem with giving someone orders, right? It becomes sort of like a, this imperative thing, like you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to do that. Whereas if you approach from the, the perspective, like your, your mom did, like, hey, I had this happen to me. I did this. And this was sort of, you know, this is what helped me. Then they can sort of relate to experience. Be like, okay, so you did that. Yeah. And, you know, and boom. So that makes a lot more sense. That's um, the word, relating to the other person's experience. Exactly. I also wanted to ask you something a little bit different, but it kind of connects to this as well. Um, I was talking to our lab director last week and he was asked, because we're trying to do like a, a student's wellness month for the month of October. So he was asking what matters to us as students in terms of our wellness and our well-being. And I was like, I brought up a point, which I don't think I explained well enough. My point was performance is really important, academic performance. And I was saying that, I was trying to say that um, what ends up happening as a student is that your wellness gets tied into how well you perform, right? And so whenever you do really well in the class, it's not that you're joyful, you're relieved, right? You get what I'm saying? It's like... You get to you get to a point where it's like you expect to get certain grades, and when you get those grades, the high grades, you're like, oh, thank God, you're relieved instead of being joyful. And then once you do bad, that's even worse. So you're kind of left in this like neurotic state where you're always constantly worrying about how well you're doing, how well you're doing. Which it kind of makes sense because everything, if you do well, grad, graduate school is open to you. If you do well, med school is open to you. If you do well, law school, whatever it is, right? So there's like there are reasons why performance gets put at such a you know a pedestal in a sense. And I was telling him that performance is really important to us. And I don't think I explained it well enough, but I wanted to ask what your perspective, what your perspective is on that in terms of like how important GPA has become to students and how that affects our mental health. I think GPA is so important to so many students and more often than not, I think it negatively affects people's mental health because at least in my experience I was I did um, biochemistry in undergrad and a lot of my peers were aiming for medical school 
or any other sort of like professional program that would be very competitive to get into. So a lot of people end up attaching for my, what I've seen, a lot of people end up attaching their self-worth to their GPA or to their publication, their research, whatever they have on their CV. And that can be very, very detrimental because when you don't achieve whatever it is, like when your experiment doesn't work or you don't get the mark, then you take it personally that there's right. something wrong with me. With you, yeah. Which which I think is very unhealthy. And I am within the academic institution. I would mm-hmm. like to eventually have some sort of academic affiliation and teach. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the way formal institutions run is the best for people's wellness. Yeah. I was like, um, I guess a solution to that would be fostering a love of learning, sort of getting people to actually enjoy the process of learning rather than sort of just looking at the the end goal, looking at the end, which is whatever, let's say the GPA out of from your four years or whatever that is, just sort of loving the, you know, just reading something and trying to understand it, going so prof, so discussing it, that type of thing. The learning should be what we put a focus on, not necessarily the grades and whatever comes after that, the publication. Because you said something really important, like your self-worth gets attached to your grades or your publications or your research. And I think it doesn't just happen to students, it happens to like faculty and other people as well. It's like, whatever you do becomes who you are. Yeah. And I was talking about this with some friends and I was like, whenever you meet someone, you ask them, you know, they kind of introduce themselves and say, hey, this is my name. And and they say, I'm this, I'm an engineer, I'm a doctor. It's like, are you only a doctor or are you, you know, it's, it's, it's always been really weird to me how like somebody introduces themselves as what they do. I mean, I understand that's a significant part of your life, but it's like, is that the only thing you are? Mm-hmm. It's hard and it's hard to detach, especially when you put so much of your time and effort into that. Yeah. And I guess for me in medicine now, it is kind of easier to detach from the marks because at least I'm in med school at McGill and it's pass fail. So what people often say is that getting into med school is really, really hard because you need those really competitive marks. But once you're in, you're in. So for me, these past two years have been the first time that I've genuinely enjoyed studying because I'm studying to be a doctor. I'm studying not to excel in my exams, but to learn enough that I feel like I'll actually be able to adequately care for a person. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that, actually, because obviously you guys have a lot of like bell ringer exams and so passive, like you just said. So then how do you balance between studying and making sure you learn what you need to do to make sure you pass the test versus taking the time off to sort of take care of yourself to make sure you recuperate so that in the long run, you don't burn out? So for me, the concussion actually was a big turning point in my life. Okay. And as much as a lot of unfortunate things happen. I learned a lot that I carry forward now. So I was out of school for two months. I had to quit my job. I couldn't like, I would, I was always the one like every weekend I would be at like whatever party I'd be hanging out with my friends and I couldn't do that anymore. And I had to learn to no. And even now I still have like frequent headaches um, so I've kind of just have to, had to learn to adapt. So like now I can't cram anymore. That's literally not possible for me. So I can't like stay up like the two, three nights before the exam until like three, 4am. <laughs> like physically, like my brain won't 
So that's been really good for me because I have to space out my studying. I have to take breaks and I'm not aiming to get an A plus. Right. So that makes things easier. And the best advice I actually got when I started med school was the first two years, rather than focusing on like learning everything at once or like trying out, like shadowing every specialty, Mm. just focus on yourself and building healthy habits because I'm about to start my clerkship in a month and I'm starting with surgery. So they're like, yeah. So when you go into clerkship and you're like in the OR 7am to 7pm kind of thing, you don't have time to learn how to be going to the gym for the first time to learn (laughs) how to meal prep, to learn Uh, how to meditate. Yeah. So do all of those things, like really get a solid routine down in the first two years. That way when things get busier, you already have healthy habits. So what's your routine like? Let's say, I mean, right now you're not in school, you're on vacation, you're taking some time off, but what's your routine like when school is in session? Not, I mean, when you go back, you're doing the clerkship, but let's say this past year. Um, so it really depends on which period of time. So let's not, I'm not going to say this past year because with COVID, like <laughs> All right, fair. everything was messy, but let's say last year. So the way it works at McGill is that we have blocks of six to eight weeks where mm. we're learning about a specific organ system. So let's say we have six weeks in respirology where we're learning all of the physiology of the lungs, um, the anatomy, um, any sort of like public health issue that could have happened with that system. So we do all of that in six weeks. Okay. So the first week is usually like I chill more. I hang out with my friends because the previous week I would have had an exam. So I would have mm. been studying. A lot. Okay. So my friends kind of know this, that like, I'm, I'm only kind of available like for the first <laughs> two weeks of a block. <laughs> and then the second week I'll start studying more like a few hours every day. Um, no, not every day I would say, but like I'll, I'll be consistent with my studying, but I really try to work out at least twice a week. I feel like if I'm able to do twice a week, I'm that I've I've done well. Um, And then in terms of like nutrition, this year is different because I actually just moved back in with my parents in Ottawa. But when I was in my apartment in Montreal, like I would cook like three times a week. And then Friday night I would have, I would give myself the night off of like chores or cooking. I either order in, have leftovers, go out with my friends kind of thing. So So you're only available (laughs) for the first two weeks of the block. That's hilarious. I mean, that's kind of extreme, but (laughs) I have a lot more free time the first two weeks. Cause like as of week three, I'm like, like maybe I've been studying it a little in week two, but I'm, I feel that I'm behind and I'm halfway through the block. So it's, I start playing the catch up game and then the last week, especially like I'm, I'm in the library every day. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I feel like my study, my study habits have also changed in the sense that I could never cram. I just couldn't. I'm I'm not like, I, I, I'm going to say it. I hate studying for exams. So I could never cram like, cause I have friends who can't, who, who could cram and just like 
basically study the night before and actually go in and do well. I can never do that. I just like, I can't, I don't have that patience. And like the anxiety of like studying the night before is just like, I cannot do that. So I have to space it out. And by spacing out, I mean, like I do like, let's say an hour every single day if I have something coming up, but it's never really, I don't know, like just cramming is ridiculous to me. But in terms of routine, it's, I have to wake up in the morning and like stretch or foam roll, mm-hmm. do something, um, get outside, maybe go for a run. If not, I have some weights at home. So just do some of that. If I don't do that, I can feel the difference. I can feel like I just, I just notice it in myself. It's really weird. Absolutely. All right. Something, something else I've been asking people is if you were stuck on an island, right? Something happens, you get stuck on an island. Well, what are three things you absolutely cannot live without? Three things. Yeah. Um, hmm. Is there like, do I have sources of food and water on this island? You're stuck on an island, bro. This is lost. You're going to have to figure out your food, your water. I'm just, just okay. Let's say you have food and water. <laughs> Let's say you have food and water. Three things. Because that's, like, those are big things. Yeah. Um, three things. I would not bring my phone. Okay. But I would bring a computer with me so that at least I can stay connected. But it's not like having your cell phone that you're, like, checking every five minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, if I were stuck on the island, like, I would want to take... Wait, is it, like, a bad situation that I'm stuck in the island? Or is it, like, am I happy? <laughs> Because it's different if it's like, I need to get... Oh, my God. (laughs) The original question was this. The original question was, um, what are three things you just cannot live without? And so to make it easier, I was like, if you're stuck on an island, you have to choose three things. What would they be? So it's not really a bad situation. It's just, like, think of it as right now, you're at home, whatever, in quarantine with your parents. Like, what are three things you absolutely cannot live without being at home in your, you know, own little island? Okay. Um, so I would still say my computer, not my phone, so I can do whatever work I need to do and stay connected, but it's not yeah. something I would be on all day. Mm-hmm. Um, I would bring, hmm, I'm hesitant to say my journal because I have a beautiful journal that was a gift from one of my old roommates. Um, and I really enjoy journaling and I'm hesitating to commit to that answer because what I would write in a journal, I could also just type on my computer, but I think it's a completely different experience to be writing it on paper. Um, so yeah, I would say my journal. So that would be two. Can I also bring a person like a friend or my mom? Yep. Kidnap a person. Um, Yeah, you get to kidnap one person. Okay, so I would have... I wouldn't mind being alone. I would just want to be able to have, like, someone come and hang out every, like, maybe, like, two, three times a week for X amount of hours. (laughs) So maybe I'd have, like, a jet. So I can fly. (laughs) So I can fly. Um my parents and or like my brothers and for X amount of hours. I like solitude. 
I'm like an extrovert introvert. So I would need like a little bit of interaction, some social interaction, but then like yeah. the rest of the time and be alone with my journal. No, I think I understand that you and I are the same. I'm not a, I don't know, like, I just, I like being alone. I like silence. I don't want to, oh my God, I just, loud places piss me off. Like they literally make me angry. So I have to be somewhere quiet. At least I can, let's say I can do a few hours in a loud place and then I got to be somewhere else. But yeah. So your laptop, journal, and your mom, you said? I would say a jet. So I can like fly. My cousin was on like, the first episode and he told me that. My like best friend, like whoever. Okay. So my cousin was on the first episode and he was telling me that he would um he would want his cell phone and then he would want a boat so he could like, you know, go fishing or just leave the island, right? Oh. It's just like mm. it's kinda smart, but you know. Like the point is not to leave the island. It's kinda like it's like a little mental exercise, like things that you can't really live without that you don't really think about a lot because a lot of people are just like when you say to them like, Oh, I actually don't know. Yeah, but with the jet, I wouldn't be leaving. People would be coming in, and then have to be a pilot to like drive them home. Yeah, but you got to think. It's like the jet's right there. You could also leave. Yeah, but if the point is to say, I can do that, and I like how you just shaped it. That the point is like the things that you can't live without, and I would say that a big one for me is my family and then my friends. That's a good answer. I'm trying to think three things. I gave my cousin an answer, but I don't think it still might have changed. I don't know. I need more time to think about it. I have no idea. I told them if I was stuck on an island, out first I would need a clean source of water. But we just kind of established yeah. so that food and water is already available, so that's kind of out of the way. But the rest, I don't even know. Whatever. But tell me about your journaling. <laughs> tell me about your journaling, you asked? Yeah. Um, so my roommate from first year of med, amazing girl, my mom said, go to Montreal, get a man, bring him back from Thanksgiving. And I was like, best. So I went to Montreal and then I went on Kijiji to find a roommate and mm-hmm. I found this Omani girl, didn't know anything about her. We like FaceTime. She seemed super chill. So it's okay. like, Kay said, like you are the one. And then she... <laughs> She landed in Canada, had never been in Canada before because she was doing, she was born and raised in Oman and then she um, was in law school in Scotland and she came to Miguel Law for one year exchange. Okay. So yeah, she was looking for a roommate and I was like, bet. So I picked her up from the bus station and then I was like, this is my roommate for the next year. And (laughs) she ended up being a friend in Montreal and we had a great relationship brought her home for Thanksgiving to meet my family. Yeah, there you go. I'm like, this is not a man, but this is what we're doing. This is what, like, we're working with right is, It's now. better, mom. It's way better. It's better. Um, my family loved her. And, yeah, so she bought me, that's the context. So she bought me a journal pretty on, pretty early on, like a beautiful blue, kind of, like, galactic journal, like, blue and gold. And the, like, edges are also gold. And she bought it for me because she said that you go through your, your life is very go, go, go. And you don't take a lot of time to just stop, breathe and reflect. So whenever you're feeling overwhelmed, I just want you to write in this journal and just to to let it out. 
And right so it started off as a gratitude journal. Okay. Because we would do this thing, like if one of us had had a bad day or like whatever it was, we're kind of annoyed. We would meet in the kitchen, be like three things that made you smile today, go. And then we would list them off. So I started journaling that. And for the first year, I would say, would journal mostly positive things. But then like within the last year with like COVID, all of the uncertainty around that, I was kind of like, screw that. Like, let me journal whatever I want. Like I will always try to include positivity in there. And I always try, not try, I always end with something I am grateful for, or I'll end with, but with all of this, I'm still grateful. Um, but yeah, now I'm kind of just like trying out the freelance journaling thing. Just whatever you feel, write it down. Yeah, I've never had a journal, but I'm always thinking, I don't know, like, if somebody found my journal, you would not want to read that. Like, the stuff I'd be writing in it would be like, only after I pass can you, like, let people see this. Like, I'm just, I don't know. I've never, I understand the the idea about journaling, sort of, you know, getting everything out of your head and sort of putting it down, sort of see what you're feeling, what you're thinking. But I'm just like, I don't know. I haven't seen, I don't know. I'm still undecided on journaling. I'm like, yeah. So you have, you can convince me right now. I think, I think everyone should journal. And like what you just said, like you wouldn't want anyone to look at it until after you pass. To me, when I think about it, like by the time I fill out my journal, so much in my life would have happened Mm -hmm. that I don't know if I would actually look through it, but I would love for my kids in the future to go through my journal at the same kind of age that I was while writing it. So they can not necessarily get to know me and my thoughts more, but like kind of be okay with whatever they're going through. And like, does that make sense? It does make like, sense. Like just yeah. to see like how another person thinks and how like whatever they're feeling or going through is valid and okay. Yeah, and how they see the world. It just made me think of um, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, like the movie. I hadn't seen it when it came out, but I watched it, I think a couple weeks ago. And in the movie, there's a, um, obviously he ages backwards. And then in the end, he basically, he's a kid. And the woman that he grew up with, the woman that he loved, he had kids with, she's older. And she had, I mean, he had a journal, I think. Or no, she had a journal. And so her daughter was reading the journal, sort of following their relationship the day they met, you know, when they got married, when they got the first house, all that kind of stuff. And so basically the movie is told through the journal in a way, which is pretty cool. So yeah, like that makes a lot of sense. And, and I agree. I, I see what you mean that like, you're not sold on journaling. Honestly, I wasn't until I was gifted a beautiful journal <laughs> and she got me a really nice one just for that. She was like, I want you to be excited about it. So anytime you see it, you're like, oh, like, that's pretty, <laughs> like, let me use it. Let me open it up. Yes. <laughs> All right. Anyway, Victoire, um, thank you so much for your time. Um, good luck with next year clerkship. I'll be checking in to see how you're doing every now and then, but I wish you well. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so much. much. Oh, by the Thank way, I keep forgetting for everyone watching and listening to this. Um, if you want to know more about uh, some of the most common mental health problems, you can go to our website, mentalhealthforeveryone.ca. It should be right below the box right here, the video. And if you're listening, it will be in the description. So it kind of like a website gives a breakdown of the basically common mental health problems, symptoms, the etiology, treatment, And for those who are looking for support, 
it gives you sort of numbers and people to call if you need help. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Victoire. Thank you for doing this. This is a great platform for people. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.